This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to season two of Keeping Track. Alicia and I talked to two-time Team USA discus thrower Valerie Ullman about how she handled this roller coaster season of sports during a pandemic and on life as a field athlete. Of course, we talked to Val about breaking Gia Smallwood's American record from 2014 with a huge throw, over 70 meters, that puts her 25th all-time on the world list. That discus throw was huge, and she did it at a small meet this summer. We talk all about it in this episode of Keep It Track. A big shout-out to Saucony for sponsoring our Season 2 production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good, and thanks for keeping track. Welcome back to season two of Keeping Track. I'm here with Alicia. We're giving Roisin a little break. Uh, she just had her baby, Rory. Congrats, Roisin and Miles. He's super cute. I saw him the other day. Um, so it's just the two of us today. And we have a really great month ahead. We're doing um, a theme for September. And our theme is inspiring sports women during the pandemic. Um, so Alicia, uh, first of all, how are you? How was your August? Um, and let us know who the first guest was. Woo, woo. I am doing as good as good can be. If anybody is me, <laughs> um, I'm losing it guys. Um, August was good. August was good. There's no evidence really on IG that August was good because um, my memory in my phone was completely blown up. And you ultimately have to spend time. I don't know if this has happened to anybody um, or you in particular, Molly. Um, but if you get to where I got to, that happened a little bit last year. I remember you guys were texting and I couldn't respond back. Um, but it wasn't too bad for like posting or anything like that. I just had to like delete threads that I wasn't into anymore. But um, I, and then I backed up my phone, which is something you should do. But this happened to me again, just in August, just like I had like one last post that I did. And then I was already planning on taking a break in August because I knew I was going to get slammed with distance learning and work and all of these amazing opportunities that have come my way this fall. Um, so I did take that break anyway, but then when I wanted to post, I couldn't, all my pictures were pix mm -hmm. pixelated. So I was spending a lot of time trying to delete photos that I couldn't delete because my memory was so bad that it, it literally was like, where are we going to put the deleted stuff? I'm like, just in the air, like get rid of it. Um, <laughs> just poop it out phone. What are you doing? Poop it out. Hello. <laughs> you know what to do your tech. Um, and it was crazy. So I literally, but because of everything, and then we had fires. It just took me almost like three weeks to even get that done. Um, so now I don't know why this is about my phone, but obviously a lot of the work <laughs> that I do is on my phone. So that was crazy. That just also is a testament to just how, um, much I was trying to be hands-free with my family in the month of August, knowing that I'm like, oh, every hour is usually accounted for. Um, and we didn't have childcare and I just didn't want to be stressed. You know what I mean? So that was that for me. And, uh, what about you? 
Yeah. And you're doing all kinds of, you're getting into the commentating game. So that means races are coming back if commentators are commentating on something. So um, that's exciting to have your voice there. Uh, We need more of your voice in the airwaves. So great job with that. Um, I'm trying. It's a practice. That's definitely a practice. It's another thing where, you know, I, I need to spend some time and energy on doing a doing my research so I could do a good job. Yeah. But you already have your athlete point of view in your brain. And that's the important part that I think people like augments every um, meet to have that point of view. So I love that. And yeah, meets are back. So we did a micro meet that my husband planned uh, at high school, a mile from my house. Um, And it was pretty anticlimactic, but it happened. I got to put my uniform on and do a race and my spikes on and get out there. So you were amazing. You ran the 3k, <laughs> you ran 89. Yes. Uh, 3k kind you, of, yeah, kind of a short mm-hmm. distance for me. Um, it was myself and two other ladies. Um, Maddie, who uh, is a Stanford grad, like our first guest. Um, and she is from Providence, Rhode Island, and she's back training with new England distance. Um, her coach is Dina Evans. Shout out to Dina. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anne-Marie uh, Tuxbury, who was another marathon trials finisher. And so like me, she was bouncing from a marathon to a 3K uh, as her next race. So the three of us just were happy to race. Um, and we had a male pacer for a little bit. And it was a good intro to the season. So hopefully yeah. I can do a 5K uh, next week and have another race on the schedule. Woo, woo. I'll do a 5K um, just at like normal people pace. Um, to celebrate you. Okay. <laughs> we can compare our times. You got to post it on get post, get your memory sorted and then you can post it and then we'll know what really happened. <laughs> I'll post it in, in hashtag Molly huddle 5k comp. Yes. Me That'll versus you. Competition. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I'm already going to tell everybody I've lost. I feel um, like a good race for us would be a mile, like a legit race. Probably. Um, so Magda and I were supposed to do that ages ago and then she got hurt because she said the same thing. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I still think people think I might be able to run a faster mile than I can run. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not going to count myself <laughs> out, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of slow. I think like 4.30. I'd be I mean, around that right now, I think. Okay. Let's do it. I mean, let me get like my butt in shape. I have to do some leg lifts right now. I'll give you like a few um, months to train and then we'll do okay. it. Perfect. Um, but what did you think? Can we get our... pacers? Yes, we can get pacers. Okay. Okay. Perfect. I got below now. Okay. Oh man. And then our first guest who is showing us how to, um, make it happen, you know, in terms of competition during a pandemic, uh, Val Allman, she is an amazing discus thrower. She just broke the American record. It, throwing 70.15 and she's incredible. She was a Stanford alum, uh, which is funny for me as a bear, but no, truly I do love all my Stanford peeps. It's just fun because we're rivals and you got to mention it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so an incredible athlete. She's training now at university of Texas, um, and working as a volunteer coach. I loved having this conversation with her because I think that um, this year was like in the beginning for a lot of people throw a year, a lot of people were able to salvage 
that training. Cause ultimately, I mean, you guys, you know, train for people think all of a sudden the Olympic year pops up and then you just train for it. But it's like years and years of stacked up work. And then, you know, to have that year kind of pulled from you in maybe like March, but really probably like April, people started feeling like, I think that's when the postponement was announced. Um, you know, you've got May, June, that's two months before trials where you have all this work that you put in. So I just felt really inspired, um, just having the conversation with her. I was geeking out a little bit. So when you guys listen, uh, you know, I'm, I had so many things I wanted to ask her that I didn't even get to ask for the sake of not being there for three hours. But, um, I do think that she has made discus relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask just about discus training. Yeah. And I just feel like we don't know enough about the throws, even as athletes, yes. track athletes. And so I'm sure like viewers don't know as much either. And it just, I feel like the field events, um, could be highlighted better. They could be like spotlighted better. So that was Definitely. cool to ask her thoughts on that. Definitely. And of course, yeah, picking her brain on that was obviously something I had to do. She was going to be, uh, you know, on, on the podcast and I am doing some broadcasting where I do want to help bring our stories to light, um, as best as I can. So yeah, I'm just excited to bring Val to all of you at Keeping Track. Yeah, it was great. I think we've seen some inspiring performances from um, other athletes, like the Bowerman athletes. Um, We definitely want to talk to at some point Shelby and Carissa, who ran lights out in that 5K. And I think most of the women um, PR'd uh, this season in something. You know, they had 3Ks. They had 400 Mm -hmm. meter events. They had fun with it. They did relays. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Val is in that camp of like, she still found a way to get something done and inspire other people and um, have a really gold star next to the season that she thought probably wasn't going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard for the young athletes that are breaking out. You know, I, I think, like we mentioned, Val was seventh in the world in Doha last year at the world championships. And so I'm sure she looked at the Olympic year, like a lot of young athletes is like a great stage to have your breakout season. And so um it's, it's good to see if she was able to kind of get over that disappointment and still get a great performance in that um, got a lot of people's attention. That's a big throw, I'm told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <As> I, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about the discus, you guys. Um, you know, it's a big throw. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and it's incredible. This, if you guys aren't following Val, which we should have asked, just so you know, we didn't, but we can put her uh, information in the bio um, and in the description. But you should be following Valerie Allman on Instagram. She's incredible. Um, and her throw is on her IG page. So if you haven't had an opportunity to watch that performance, you should go watch it. Yeah, Among well, other athletes that have competed yes. well, but her we'll, in particular. We'll link that and I'll look for her performance a few throws from Worlds and USAs last year too. Um, and you can start becoming a fan right away. Woo-hoo. I love it. Thanks for keeping track. Here's Val. So welcome back, everyone, to season two of Keeping Track. We have our guest, Valerie Allman, here. Val is a discus thrower. She just had a huge throw. You may know her from her seventh in the world finish in Doha last year at the World Championships and her World University Games and World Junior Medals. She's been good for a long time, but she's having a breakout season in the middle of a pandemic. So we had to talk to Val and see what it was all about. Hey, Val. 
Welcome to Keeping Track. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much hey, for having me. I'm so honored to be on. Oh my goodness. We were dying to get you on. So thank you so much for deciding you wanted to hang out with a bunch of runners over here. Um, so first of all, I want to know, like we did all the numbers. We talked about all of the, you know, the ins and outs, the facts of Val, but like, what are some pieces that were missing? Like what got you into the sport in the first place? Ooh, what a good question. Um, I was actually, I was talking about this with someone recently that it's, I feel like really interesting that I don't think anyone in the United States thinks they're going to be a discus thrower. I feel like most people kind of just find a, a way into it that kind of just pulls them in and then they get stuck. And that, that was pretty much what happened to me. Um, growing up, I played soccer and I was really into dance. Um, and I did dance to the point that I was like on the competitive teams and it had become pretty full time between doing competitions and traveling to, to do classes. And when I got to high school, the track coach, she said, you know, I know you have other commitments, but if you, you want to come out to the team, you can come whenever you can. And um, I started trying all the events. And I feel like now looking back, it makes so much sense that I was meant to be a thrower because um, the throwers, one day they were having their annual spaghetti dinner. And they said that anybody that came to try throwing that day could come to the dinner. And that got me. And... <laughs> <laughs> right from the start, it was like, I think in my brain, I thought of it as dance, as choreography. Um, but I kind of just found that I had a weird knack for it um, and then just stuck with it. It was kind of a very serendipitous moment, but I'm so thankful that spaghetti pulled me in. I love it. Spaghetti can get me lots of places as well, but it didn't make me an American record holder. Um, that is so amazing. I think that's what's, what I find really interesting is I think when people think about, like you said, you know, getting into the sport of track and field, let alone being a thrower, it's like this like lineup of I'm going to do this. And a lot of times you kind of fall into it. Um, what would you say? So from that point forward, did you continue on with dance as well? Or did you just focus on throwing? There is definitely a point where I did both. Um, but it was one of those things that I think I recognized like with dance, right. It was such a different path. Like I think I really wanted to go to college um, and get a degree and be part of a team. And that aspect of track and field, just like, I felt like pulled me in so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really lucky that I, it was actually the sprints coach that coached me. We kind of learned the discus together. Um, And it was so rewarding to like work on something that was tangible and you could measure results and I think that that was something that really kind of fueled me wanting to keep training and, and keep progressing at it. Um, but I don't think I ever realized that it could open the door of, of taking me to college until it was much later. And I realized it had become such a, an exciting passion. And you, the college that you were at is my favorite school ever. It is. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a golden bear, honey. <laughs> Are you guys rivals there? <laughs> but, you set but, me up there. <laughs> I set you up. Um, but I have lots of love for my, you know, Lauren. She's a really good friend of mine, Lauren Fleshman. She's a Stanford yeah. alum. Um, at Stanford, it's been known to be, you know, it has really good um, throws, pro- has had a pretty good throws program. There's always somebody great that comes out of there. Did you feel any pressure going into Stanford, knowing that there is a little bit of a a, a track legacy and you you know, again, had seen yourself falling into, um, 
into the sport as from a dance perspective? I mean, that is so different. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think when anyone goes to college, there's tons of pressure. And I think, especially at Stanford, right? Like it felt like everyone was doing incredible things. Um, I think that coming from like a small town in Colorado, it just was, my eyes were open in so many ways. And then to feel like there was expectation and pressure on a college team, it definitely took some time to get used to. Um, but to that point, I mean, like you said, right there, there was good people there. And I mean, I felt super lucky to have older teammates that kind of pulled me in and showed me the ropes. And I think that was kind of my, my quick start to, to maturing as an athlete, but it definitely was a bit of a tough transition at first. Yeah. I think it's um, not surprising that you said you had a background in dance because I'll link your American record throw that you did at a small meet in, was it, um, where was that meet? Was it Idaho? It was in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. So you look like a dancer, like you're really graceful and like you kind of like have a really graceful spin. Um, How much do you think dance like helped your technical side of your throw? Like obviously you have to hit the weight room, we think of strength with throws, but like you obviously have the technique down and it even looks pretty. <laughs> oh, you're making me blush over here. We'll link um, the video because people have to see. I know other people commented that too. I saw on Twitter, yeah. people were like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. Yeah. I think that dance, right? It's um, no matter when you do it, right? It, it just gives you a good foundation of kind of having an awareness of your body. Um, at first, I, I, it truly kind of was choreography in my brain, right? Like I would think about, like, oh, you need to move your left arm here and your right leg down and forward. And it was kind of later that I like transitioned it to being technique in my brain. Um, but I think dance gave me a, a really solid start of just kind of knowing, understanding my body better. Um, but the devil's been at the end. I think it, it's just kind of carried over from that. I don't, we don't think of it as dance anymore as much as I wish that was a thing. Um, but it is, people tell me all the time that they think I look like a ballerina when I do it, which is something I hadn't heard before in starting the sport. It always kind of makes me smile to tie the two worlds together. Yeah. It's your yeah. own style. It's awesome. It can be like your signature. Hey everyone who's keeping track with us. It's Molly here. And I'm going to take a little break to give you a workout nutrition tip sponsored by Gatorade Endurance. I get asked a lot about marathon fueling strategies for race day and training. The goal in training is to dial it in for race day. I do that with everything. I dial it in with my shoes, my paces, the long run, and I even sometimes practice wearing my race uniform. I rely on the Gatorade Endurance products, especially the gels for marathon training. The gels sit great in my stomach and they have refreshing natural flavors and they're a really easy consistency for fueling at top speed, which is nice. Um, it makes sense to dial it all in by practicing your fueling on training runs and to practice the things you plan to replicate on course or in your virtual race day coming up. You can see what form is easiest for you, the gels, the chews, or the drinks, how much of them you can handle, how often to take them, and how to get those carbs from table to hand to mouth, all while not missing a step. Even though there aren't races on the calendar this season, we can spend a few months dialing in the details so on race day, being our best will be as familiar as your favorite long run route. Head over to GatoradeEndurance.com and use our discount code of TRACK20 for a 20% off. 
you know, you kind of talked about some aspects of it being, you know, a mental mind shift that you've had to do. So obviously, um, do you think that you've had a leg up with having to, you know, work through your mental barriers in going into a year that none of us, well, okay, all the scientists can keep their, we knew a pandemic, we were due for that. Okay, we get it. But for most of us, uh, (laughs) for most of us, you know, it's been a huge mental adjustment. Do you think that, you know, just your background, your history has helped you adjust to what you were able to do in a year where a lot of people were ready to throw it away? Literally. (laughs) Um, That's a great question. I mean, I I feel like nothing really could have prepared me or anyone, right, for for what this year held. Um, I think as an athlete, right, like you're constantly dealt with resilience and there's been small hurdles along the way that maybe have prepared me. But I mean, I think the biggest thing, right, is just that I found I was in a, in a training environment with a great coach that could kind of keep things progressing forward as much as I wanted to throw the talent. I mean, to be totally honest, I think I, I did want to give up on the season. And there's a lot of points where I, I remember having conversations with my coach of just kind of wanting to give up and, and come home to Colorado and then come back for, to prepare for 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was kind of just honestly having someone that could give kind of a day by day plan that didn't feel too big when there was so much uncertainty that kept it moving forward. Um, but I mean, to your point, maybe, maybe all the years of just kind of working hard, right. And hoping things would come together, played a piece in it. But I think that now looking back, it seems like, Oh, we really used the time to our advantage and we did, but when you're in it, it's, it's definitely hard and you don't know if it's going to come together and that's what makes it exciting, but also what makes it really scary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know like you, obviously you were seventh in the world last year. So, you know, kind of where your, your goals were going to be big. I'm assuming for the Olympic year, you don't make the team improve on seventh. That's like medal territory. But like, did you know you had like that kind of a throw in you or did your coach know? And is that why he kind of like encouraged you to keep going? Um, or were you really surprised by that performance from a few weeks ago? Um, I was definitely surprised when I talked to my coach now, he seems less surprised, (laughs) which is very complimentary. Um, but I mean, I think my approach has been so much of, of literally just taking it day by day. Right. I mean, with how much unpredictability there's been, I just was focused on getting stronger and, and trying to work on kind of the technical aspect of the throw. Um, then when it came time for a competition, I hadn't really thought about like where I was in terms of like performance shape. I mean, if we like rewound to goals eight months ago, right. I would have said, yeah, I want to like make the Olympic team, make the final and, and try to do my best to medal. Um, but we hadn't really like talked about the American record as a thing. Um, that it was only kind of once we started to get to the meet, there was a few sessions where I would throw and my, me and coach, I would kind of look at each other with big eyes and be like, okay, I think that was pretty far. Um, but we, we didn't really have that many throwing performance indicators to have confidence, but we'd spent so much time focusing on strength in the weight room. Um, and I felt like we'd really seen so much growth there over the last year, which only out of the, the pandemic were we really able to kind of switch some of our focus. Um, that I think that gave me a lot of confidence, but it was kind of a, an indirect parallel to, to know what type of shape I was in for throwing. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we were at the meet, it was, there was just kind of 
it was so weird. It was definitely like, I just felt so excited to have a competition, right? Like I think I'd gotten to a point where I used to always just know there was going to be meets on the calendar. And now this was the first time, like even just being at the meet, I was just like so happy. Like I'd already felt like I'd kind of PR'd. Um, that I think that like, it definitely gave me just an elevated energy and excitement. And that kind of just, I think really, really came out at the meet and in the performance. But even when the discus hit, I didn't think it was that far. I thought maybe it was close to my PR. And when they read the mark and it started with the seven, I like, I I just kind of burst into tears. I, I couldn't believe it. Oh my gosh. You deserve that. That's so amazing. It's so nice to have some breakthrough like that. And especially when things seem a little bit heavier. Um, and it's fun. It's have, fun to watch too. Like yeah. it's inspiring. Cause I feel like a lot of athletes were like, what do we do with this season? And then that was a big performance. And we've seen some of the distance girls have huge, like the 5k American record was set yeah, a few yeah, weeks yeah. ago. And you're like, okay, I can do like, I feel like as an athlete, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can do something like there's time. Yeah. So yeah. That's it's cool inspiring. Yeah. You also, um, are a coach at the university of Texas. Yes. I'm a volunteer assistant there. Yeah. What let's, can we talk about the time and the energy that, that, you know, what goes into that as well as your training, what that, what a day for you looks like, and then what it kind of shifted to, um, this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a volunteer assistant at the university of Texas. Um, my college coach, Zebulon Zion, he, he came to Stanford when I was a senior. And then he got the job at Texas and then I followed suit because I knew he was definitely the coach for me. Um, so I was kind of thrown into the role of volunteer assistant. Um, there's a lot of other absolutely incredible pros that train there. And, and that was super great for me. Um, and resources at a college are incredible. Um, so during a normal year, I don't really coach. I leave that up to my coach, but I try to, to be a good influence um, to the athletes when, in whatever way possible. But normally, I mean, I just kind of, there's a, an incredible weight room. There's a great throwing facility. Um, and we try to break it up into to two sessions a day. And then when the pandemic hit, uh, universities were kind of one of the first thing to close. So all of our resources quickly went out of the window in terms of training facilities. Um, so in Austin, Texas, the pandemic hit pretty hard. So at first we started training at a local middle school um, and it was very, very grassroots in the sense of like just going back to the original excitement of throwing a discus of an open field and just a little cement square. Um, But over the next, the first month, we kind of started to piece together some gym equipment and and we found a high school that actually ended up kind of being our home base over the next several months. And we would just meet and we, we lifted a lot um, and then we go to the high school and train. And I mean, we kind of just figured out on the fly as things were opening and closing. Mm-hmm. 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 Seems like, you know, that's like a, a lesson that we could all learn, like getting back to the basics sometimes is better. Obviously yeah. resources are great, but we, we have within us what we, what we need to succeed and to survive. Um, I don't know. that could be the yeah. little nugget <laughs> for this no. year. I think we keep trying to find nuggets this year. Um, and then something else happens and you have to find another nugget to keep you going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hunting for silver linings here for a yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. I don't know I'm, if you guys felt this way, but, um, I like when I first became a pro, I mean, I feel like you're kind of like 
taught, right? About like all the things you need to prioritize, right? Like you need to prioritize mm-hmm. sleep, you need to prioritize eating, you need to prioritize medical, you need to do all these treatments, you need to lift hard, you need to, there's like so many things, right? That like you feel like you have to do to meet your potential. And to that point, like I think my nugget that I found, right, is like it kind of forced me to figure out like what I truly need, you know, mm-hmm. that like pretty much all medical things closed in terms of like getting physio and uh, getting adjusted. And it kind of like, it just, it forced me to shrink my priorities. And I think that was actually so great because I didn't realize all the things I was trying to factor into my training that kind of had just become a distraction a little bit. Um, that I think that that kind of was one of maybe the silver linings that came out of it. Right. Sometimes adding all those things too can also be a stress in itself. And you know, training already is the stress. It is supposed to be like good stress, but then you add these other components to it and um, it ultimately can take away, right? Yeah. Um, Especially when you don't have it. I think that was a big thing for me. Like when I was uh, first a pro athlete and I went overseas and like, you don't have all these things. You're like, wait, how am I supposed to perform (laughs) well if on, you know, every hard day I do this? It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, even making an ice bath over in Europe, you're like, maybe I don't need ice baths. (laughs) You have eight cups. They bring you a of, cup of four ice cubes. They're like, Here's exactly. Your ice. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Um, this is, is just honestly, I think there's so much inspiration that for me that has come from just watching you and, um, you know, again, that little, that nugget about prioritizing what you actually need. I do want to kind of dive into like just the business of the sport. Um, mm. I think this is just like a really, um, just interesting topic and because of so so many things you talk about closed, right. And this is uh, your work. This is your job in a lot of ways. You have a sponsor. How many sponsors do you have um, that kind of help you? And like, if you can help explain to our audience, like what it means to have like financial resources um, to help you focus on your dwindled down priorities and what you actually need to succeed. And especially again, like we talked about meets are not there to allow for, certain amount of prize money that you ultimately yeah. might be able to get. Yeah, long-winded. absolutely. No, no, totally. Um, I think this was definitely one of the biggest shocks to me is about coming a pro. I mean, there's money in track and field, but as a thrower, especially when you're first starting out, you're kind of like a starving artist um, mm-hmm. that there's not a ton there and you kind of have to piece it together as you go. Um, I'm super fortunate that I signed with Wazelle when I first came out of college and they've been absolutely incredible. Um, so I'm super lucky to be with them. And then, um, it's kind of just pieced together a little bit after that. I am sponsored by the New York athletic club and that's been amazing. Um, I apply for grants, um, the USATF tier funding. And then honestly, most of my money comes, has come from the one season I did, um, from prize money. I mean, a big, the biggest thing is you do have to compete and you got to try to place as high as you can. I mean, that's kind of, I feel like what's been my meat and potatoes for my salary is kind of, uh, how you can perform at those big competitions. Um, so there's not a ton of stability as a thrower. Um, and especially during these times, it's been incredibly stressful as, you don't want to actually go into debt as even when you're pursuing a dream. Um, but yeah, there's not a ton of structure there and it really comes down to how well you can perform at your mm-hmm. meeting. Mm-hmm. And so this is a huge loss, obviously for our listeners, for a lot of athletes. When we talked about 
um, you know, going to the Olympics and then not having the Olympics from a, just a safety measure and then how athletes were going to ultimately earn their bonuses and make money, especially for athletes that are in the less glorified events, mm-hmm. um, really not short sprints or like, you know, marathon distances, um, or, you know, yeah. So like the, the field events, the field events totally get left behind. Do you have a, do you, I don't know, what are your thoughts on why field events are so, you know, they're like just not, not enough marketing goes into our field events. And I think that for me, I think statistically, when you look at what people can equate the numbers to how far and, you know, how high somebody jumps, it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I want to hear from your perspective. Why do you think that it is an event where, you know, you it's really hard to earn a living? Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think that, oh, what do I think? I think that the biggest thing with field events, right, is to that point, nobody like, it's, it's really hard to relate to, you know? I mean, it's not a set of easier barriers to understand the sport, right? Like, it's so funny how many conversations I have with people and I tell them I throw the discus and they're like, Oh, it's like a Frisbee. Right. And it's effort. Right. And I appreciate that. But like, there's, it's just relatively, um, unpopular, right. That people don't know how to appreciate the sport. Um, and the crazy thing to me, right. Is, I mean, we're power athletes, right? Like there's so many relatable, impressive skills, right. To come with it, right. Like how heavy can you lift? How could you, how quick can you do a short sprint? What's your vertical? But these things kind of just get put a bit to the side to make it a bit more unapproachable as to like what goes in to throwing the discus. Um, that I think there's just, it seems it's a hard sport to appreciate if you don't know anything about it versus when you see someone run and they look beautiful and they look graceful and they beat someone at the line. It's Mm -hmm. so exciting versus when you watch a field event, right, it's one person at a time and you're having to compare to other competitors, um, that it's just, I feel like slowly become less explained with time, which has made it, I think, less appreciated by, by most of people. That's a good point. I would love to see like a montage of your training, like alongside or in between the throws just to mm -hmm. see, I think people would appreciate that, like the power you can push and the work you put in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something, I mean, my coach, he's, he's awesome. Um, coach Zion, he, he's done a great job. I mean, his approach, right. Is that nothing's cookie cutter between his athletes, but I think the way that we train, I mean, we do all the traditional throwing things, right. Of, of doing partial movements for throwing and full throws and, and Olympic lifting, but we also do a ton of cross training, right? Like we do do sprints and we bike and we swim. And these are things like so relatable to other athletes. Um, but it's just a bit more uncommon. So figuring out how to, to make it the sport of discus appear more athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, Show people something... that you guys are great athletes. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think um, that would be really interesting for people because they don't know about discus. And so, I mean, I personally don't know what your training day is like, so I'd love to watch what your training day is like. And yeah. I think that would hook a lot of viewers too, for all the field events. Like how do these people train for this event that we don't like, understand how it works and then maybe they can you know guys watching can be like wow she outlifts me that's amazing or (laughs) wow like that shot putter actually is fast like can like sprint fast or something like that so um yeah field maybe can start making a few 
documentaries on the field events or something like that. Yeah, I think anything sharing people's lives is actually and making Netflix, them more relatable as a, <laughs> as a person. It always makes people want to watch that. But I think, what do you what do you think about um, the approach of showing? I don't know a graphic of. I don't know, like eight school buses and Val can throw over, I don't know, there's probably way more buses or like the football field analogy. Yeah. I think it's great. I mean, anytime I learn like a silly fact, right. For some reason always sticks in my brain. Right. Like it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like I remember one time Kara Winger, she told me that a javelin is the weight of a guinea pig. And for some reason, like now, every time I see a javelin throw, I just picture like this little guinea pig flying through the air. Right. But it just gives such an appreciation, right. It's just like, it's a different way to think about it. So I think, yeah, anytime you can make it simple or comedic or especially interesting, right. It just, hopefully it, it intrigues people a bit more to the sport. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is interesting. It's just, you need to show people more, I think, not less, you know, yeah. I feel like they're trying to cut the field events into these smaller pieces of the coverage. And it's like, no, we mm-hmm. actually need more. Like we need to see what their lives are like, what their training mm-hmm. is like. So yeah, yeah. When you just throw out some number that they did clearly, you know, we're like, okay, how do we say that we're track and field athletes? We live and breathe this and we're still even like, okay, wait, that's a, that what's the conversion to that? Like it mm-hmm. really matters for people who are not even, you know, getting more of a submersion into the sport, like what that actually means when you tell them somebody has thrown 70.15 meters. Um, yeah. Cause it, it just means like a number, you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what do I, what's the other numbers that are out there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. to that point, right. Like, I mean, maybe there's a way, right. To, to keep changing discus or field events or, I don't know, track in general, right. To keep making it more interesting, right. Like, I mean, NASCAR shortened how many laps they have, right. To keep people Mm -hmm. interested. And maybe there's a way, right. Like you take multiple throws and then you have your average, right. Like I get that sports have to change in order to stay interesting. And I mean, maybe that's part of this, right. Is making it more exciting or more entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But hopefully, so, I mean, keeping the integrity of the sport is so essential. And I mean, to Molly's point, right. Like, is it a sign, right, that the content keeps shrinking, you know, and that maybe that's a sign, you know? I don't know. I, I mean, I love my sport and, and I'm super, super honored to to do what I do. But I mean, I want to make people interested in it and hopefully that just happens with time and giving more transparency into how we train. But it's definitely no, a, an interesting don't dilemma. Shrink, do not shrink their, their airtime. We can't have that. No. <laughs> um, I want more, more time. I want you guys to have a lot more time. So if I can relay anything back to, you know, my, my, uh, circle within like the broadcast world, you know, I'm really going to push for more coverage, more, you know, voices in that area. I think, I think what I'm, what I've noticed, um, I've ha- had a couple of opportunities to, um, be an analyst, obviously, you know, it's a lot of practice for me in that. So I'm by no means like professional analyst or anyway, um, everybody that's listening. Um, but it's a, it's a good dive in to kind of see what it looks like. And I do think having more, um, people who have a really deep background in the field events does, does really matter because, um, you know, ultimately when you throw it over to me, you know, it's like, Oh, who do I love in this event? And, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, of course doing your own research and, 
Um, but it's doing a disservice to just only bring to the voices of people who are relatable to me um, as an analyst to our audience. It's got to be, you know, really a deep dive into who else, you know, has a potential that we might not have the insight to even know because we're not sitting on the bench next to those athletes uh, or in like, like Molly has talked about seeing montage of their training and how, Oh, well, Val was able to do this. She does this for training X, Y, and Z also has done this. So, you know, they do comparable training routines. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of just spilling to you what I think. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm I mean, keeping track. <laughs> I love that, my brain. I love it. I feel like um, microphones would be cool to see. Like, how often do you Mic'd talk up. to your competitors when you're all there? Wait, because, mm. you know, throwing, like, you could throw for quite a while spread out through the meet. Do you guys chat? Do you go into your zone in the corner? Or, like, what do you do when you're waiting? Mm. I feel like most people are in their zone until the competition's over, then everyone's super chatty. But, I mean, in discus, most of the field is international and the Germans are always super friendly and amicable and I love talking to them, but it's a pretty like intense, quiet environment. I mean, we're around each other for most competitions for 45 minutes and it's just, you're kind of on edge and you're doing your own thing and you're mm-hmm. just staying intense in your little bubble. Um, but after the competition, I feel like mics could be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mic'd up. I'm going to throw that out there. Well, I love it. This has been so amazing. I just, you know, want to let you know uh, the purpose of keeping track is so that we can better tell the stories of women athletes in sports. And um, there's a huge hole there, obviously. And I just want to know what parts of your story would you like to share with our audience and with the world that we can keep track of? Doesn't even have to be track related, where you came from, you know, anything that you feel is important for us to know as we follow you into Tokyo 2021. Oh, gosh. Hmm. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is, I mean, sports is such an empowering thing, you know? I mean, I feel so lucky that I found a community and a sport and a sense of purpose with my body, especially as a female, um, in an event that I didn't know was possible. Um, but it's never easy when you start out with something. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned from this. And I still feel this way is that you just have to keep at it. I mean, there's going to be hurdles. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be apparently pandemics. Um, but it's just, it's figuring out how to, to keep taking it one step forward. And I mean, I think that's when the magic really kicks in and when you can surprise yourself and a lot of other people. Um, and I wish that, I'd known that earlier, right? That it's going to be hard and it's going to be really tough, but you just got to figure out the next best, best way to keep moving forward. Um, mm. And it's not always okay if you don't move forward. It's just figuring out how to rebound and, and find that next step in whatever you're doing. That's so, I'm going to take that and I'm going to write that down and I'm going to remember that. It's so true. Sometimes it is about rebounding and, you know, it doesn't always have to forward motion is forward mm-hmm. motion doesn't always have to look the way that we assume that it was going to look in our heads. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm about to, you know, kind of move us forward, but actually I wanted to take a step back really quick and just one of the things that I think is really difficult in sport is like, and like we talked about telling people's stories is just um, how much we're in this box of just being an athlete what other things are you interested in? What other things are you, you know, do you look towards doing uh, one sport isn't 
uh, at a professional level in, especially even the way that you have it, um, what other things do you look towards doing or do you even do in the meantime in your free time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I studied mechanical engineering in college. Um, so I love design designs, like one of my favorite things. Um, so I love interior design. I love, um, product design. I'm always like, I feel like getting inspiration for, for different little gadgets or clothing. Um, just figuring out how to make things that add delight is like one of my favorite passions. Um, I love to read. I'm a really avid reader and cook. Um, I got a puppy seven months ago, Ollie. She's adorable. So now I'm a dog mom and I'm so pumped about it. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like that's most of it. That's a lot. Oh my gosh. Can you come to my house? <laughs> yes. Like, I would love that. <laughs> I need, I need for you to have a pop-up website and I will be the first <laughs> client to be like, please interior design my house. Um, yeah, it's rough over here. <laughs> we, we can, I can, uh, be your first client and then push your business forward. I'll, I'll leave all the reviews. I can change different names. I'll put Aster as a review. Linnea will have a, you'll have like, you know, my whole family will leave a review for you. (laughs) I'm so into this. This is amazing. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on keeping track. Molly, did you have anything else that you wanted to pick her brain about? I feel like, you know, um, I well, wanna... I don't want to go backwards too far, but I did have one small thing I think <laughs> might be interesting for our listeners. Um, and that's the insight into like what goes into competing at a meet in the in yeah. pandemic times. Cause, um, it's not as easy as just flying in and getting your throws in. Did you have to schedule any tests? Did you, can you tell people kind of how, um, I don't know if this was your experience, but of the meets I've been looking at, it's very last minute as to the date and the location and whether you know it's actually going to happen. And so I don't know if you have any funny stories or insights into like maybe how different it was than your normal competition schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was actually probably the hardest thing about this season is originally meets just got postponed and then they said a new date. And it was such a roller coaster, and probably the hardest part was actually getting a meet on the schedule. Um, since April, there was probably four meets we were hoping to doing, and they all ended up getting postponed to canceled. Um, and when the one popped up in Idaho, it was about ten days before the actual competition, um, so it was super last minute. And then we we really just kind of jumped at the opportunity because there really wasn't very much on the calendar. Um, the meet that I did was really low risk. And one of the beauties, I guess, of throwing, especially right now is that you can social distance from all of your competitors. Um, so the, the competition had six people in it. There's maybe 15 people total. There it was super small. Um, they did temperature checks, everyone wore masks. Um, but it was, it was a very intimate yet social distance experience. Um, but it was definitely, I mean, unlike any other competition I think I'll probably ever have in my life in terms of how, how small it was. Thumbs up or thumbs down with the energy of the crowd? Um, the other, what, four people? You know, yeah, the people really brought it. It was nice. actually pretty hype. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, it yeah. was great. I mean, it, it was actually, I know you just ran too, Molly, but I mean, there's something kind of magical about it, right? When it's it's that small and everyone there really like knows what's going on. 
um, that I think kind of made it definitely unique, but also really energizing. Yeah. And I'd say as an athlete who's in kind of an event that isn't always a marquee event or isn't paid as much attention to, you kind of get used mm. to just like making your own hype. Like I know on the distance <laughs> events, it's kind of like, like marathon, of course, it's like pouring yeah. on you like for two hours, but you know, most of the distance events, you're like, I'm used to quiet stands. I'm yeah, used people to like hearing my so mom yeah. yell for yeah. me. So um, every lap. Yeah, that came, that comes in handy during a pandemic when they're not allowed to have crowds come in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so we've been true. prepared for this. <laughs> you're not the sprint, the mile, or the marathon. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, this has been incredible. We look forward to so many more amazing performances from you, and you know, we we support you highs, lows, um, and we're just so happy that we had an opportunity to speak with you on keeping track. Oh, well, I'm so honored to be on. You guys are two women that I've looked up to for, for a long time. So thank you so much for having me. I mean, this was, this was amazing. Thank you. Yeah. We're honored to be your first podcast, Val, and hopefully you'll get more, many more. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for keeping Val. track. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. My shoulders hurt really bad, Molly. From what? I decided I was going to do rows, and now I can't wear a bra. It actually hurts. (laughs) It hurts your skin. It it really hurt. Like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, there's a bump there. Oh God. Making games. I didn't, I didn't have any muscles. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, ow, now I'm just in pain. I did that a few weeks ago. I was like, I'm just going to try and um, like deadlift as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> the next day I was like, oh my God, why is my back so sore? It hurts so bad. I know. I'm like, oh, I need somebody to pressure point like right in there. Anyway. It's like, man, I'm so dumb. Anyway. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. 
Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 